Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the No Vision Internet Radio. Today is July. What is it, August twenty fifth? I don't know the days anymore. It's working, but anyways, today we have the <laughs> great pleasure of having Aaron Montes with us. This gentleman is running for District Seven, and uh, so. But today we're going to start with um, some great, interesting subjects that have come on the national news. And first of all, good morning, gentlemen, Mr. Bautista, Mr. Aaron Montes. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Oh, you're welcome, sir. And how is your how is your week for so far, Mr. Montes? <laughs> well, it's incredibly hot outside, um, and it's it's made campaigning a little hard, but um, I'm enjoying every minute of it, and so it's been a, a blessed week. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, and you, Mr. Bautista? I'm not uh, doing too bad. I I just had breakfast and eggs, and the whole said, "Hey, you can't complain." No, I can't complain. And as, so today, um, me and Mr. Bautista asked me yesterday to give uh, the, the latest numbers. And I think Mr. Montes probably know better than me, but uh, just the way, just to know, uh, Mr. Montes used to be a reporter with El Paso Inc., El Paso Times, and Diario. Am I saying that wrong? I'm saying that wrong. Diario. Diario. You got it. You got it. As I know the latest numbers from the COVID, unfortunately, four more individuals passed away yesterday, or the numbers from four are four from yesterday. So total count right now is 390. Uh, over 19,000 have been uh, confirmed, you know, have been affected. 3,000, over 3,346 are still active, which dropped. Uh, yesterday, they didn't tell me to say the morning, but yesterday the numbers did go down for the, for the um, hospitalization. ICU went down a little bit. I think it was at uh, 80 or 75, I believe, or 55. And I think 35 were on ventilators, 32 were on ventilators. So the numbers are still out there, folks. So just, you know, be careful when you go out there, wash your hands, you know, wear that mask. Some people don't like to wear masks, but I mean, that's what you have to do, you know. And talking about masks, a lot of, unfortunately now, masks have become, in my opinion, a political issue, which it never should have. And what I mean by that is, you know, Democrats and the Republicans have different stance regarding how to wear a mask or not to wear a mask or where to wear a mask. And and me and Mr. Bautista have many discussions on this regarding, you know, not to wear one or, or to wear one. And the constitutional right, we actually spoke to Ms. Um, Yvonne Rosales, the elected district attorney about that. And she said she didn't see no, that in, in, in her eyes, she didn't see a constitutional issue with that, but neither here or there. Well, having said that, this week was a Democratic uh, uh, Party uh, conference, convention, and uh, Mr. Joe Biden he uh, took the nomination to be the, the Democratic nominee for this September or this December 3rd. And I, I want to play, play a clip of his uh, uh, speech. Uh, and before I do that, Mr. Bautista or Aaron, do you have anything to say? I thought the Democrats uh, blew it out out of the well, ballpark. Uh, they, the, I saw the entire um, Democratic convention and uh, uh, we, we, we weren't expecting to see that a good a deal, you know, because of the virtual uh, way that they presented the the, the 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 convention, and everybody thought that it would be very boring or very you know you know something that they weren't interested in watching. But it, it turned out to be great. The yeah. Democrats, like I said, they just blew it out of the ballpark. Well, this, this here is this here what he has to say, Mister. This is Joe Biden, the, the Democratic nominee for the November third elections. Maybe not. I pushed the wrong button, folks. I have, I have three keyboards that keep pushing. Sorry about that. Here we go. 
give you my word. If you entrust me with the presidency, I will draw on the best of us, not the worst. I'll be an ally of the light, not the darkness. It's time for us, for we the people, to come together. And make no mistake, united we can and will overcome this season of darkness in America. We'll choose hope over fear, facts over fiction, fairness over privilege. I'm a proud Democrat, and I'll be proud to carry the banner of our party into the general election. So it's with great honor and humility, I accept this nomination for president of the United States of America. Well, I mean, that's, that's our, hopefully our next president. You, Mr. Montes, you know, coming from the perspective of a reporter, how did you think of the, of the overall conven- uh, convention being virtual? Sure. Well, I think they handled it very well. Um, uh, I'm sure you saw some, sh- some shots where they had the press socially distanced during the speeches, uh, in particular during Kamala Harris's acceptance speech. Um, I thought that their presentation was incredible, and I knew that they'd be ready. Um, there was a lot of mem- uh, memorable moments um, from you know, President Barack Obama talking about the need for all of us to uh, rise to the occasion and uh, really vote our conscience this year. Um, I thought, it, but I, I thought it was an incredible moment when they had uh, uh, the child who is uh, um, dealing with a stutter um, also do a speech as well. And uh, I didn't I, see that really. Okay. Yes, yes, it was uh, it was really incredible and uplifting, and I think that provided that you know that prompted um, the kind of uh, hope that we all should have going into this election, looking for change. Yeah. And, what, you know, like you, you know, what we've been talking about too, Mr. Montes, is that, and you're aware of this, voting here in El Paso has been very low for the past four years regarding to the general election, even the, the primaries. But the thing is that we need to go out there and vote, folks, because, you know, you know without us, us putting our voices out there, we're going to have issues like we're having here in El Paso with Steve Margo and, and President Bush. So, and, you know, that's why I think Mayor Aaron Montes is a very good uh, voice for us, but he cannot do it himself. Like we had a, a Alexandra Anello last week. Those two individuals, Mr. Montes and her, were to be on board. You know, they can make a lot of changes, but they cannot do it themselves. And that's what we need to really step it up and go out there and vote. You know, we need to we need to stop uh, people have ground. You're breaking up there, Mr. Bolsa. But um, the the thing about going out there and vote, you know, there's oh, different no. avenues now. Can you hear? Can you hear me? Yeah, go ahead, sir. C- can you hear me? Yes, go ahead. Yeah. Well, uh, what I was what I was saying, George, is that the it's so important. You know, the, the, the they were saying that the Democrats were saying that we need to vote like if it was uh, you know uh, our lives depended on us on it, and it does. It depends on it. On, 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 what we do, um, city hall cannot be without us voting. I told you before, you know, the just the, the people in the the uh, uh, city hall. But if 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 they voted together with their their relatives and their friends and all that, the classified employees could make it determine who would win. You know, but everybody's scared or everybody, you know, we're we're silent, and it's being complicit as far as I'm concerned. Because we're not, you know, exercising our responsibility 
not only that, Mr. Balti, like you see, you know, I wish they had some some kind of mechanism where they could actually like like not penalize, but if you don't go to vote, there's a penalty, you know, like a two dollar, you know, whatever it is, but just to make the people go out there and vote because there's now there's different avenues, there's curbside, there's mail-in, there's all this stuff, but you know, we don't go out there and vote, you know, our voice is not going to be heard. And um, just well, they could publicize publicize it on the newspaper, or you know, yeah. so that you know, so and so didn't vote, you know, uh, because a lot of those people that don't vote, George, sorry to say that, but they're the worst complainers. They're the worst yeah. the ones that go saying, you know, my taxes are high. Well, yeah, you didn't vote, and so you know, and yeah, I hear you. Yeah, I hear you. The thing is, thing is, it's bad. Well, you didn't vote. Yeah, you need to go out there and vote. So um, that's why we want to talk to Mr. Montes later about his platform and on why we want to vote for him. And uh, just for those who are listening on our website, this is No Vision Internet Radio. We're, talk- we're going to be talking to Mr. Aaron Montes, candidate for District 7 later on. Right now we're talking about topics in the national news and local. And we like to do this just to, you know, bring that news out to people that sometimes miss in the news, you know, busy, busy working like me, 8 to 5, and sometimes you come home, you got to cook and all that good stuff. So, And I know my wife is probably watching. She hates I have a microphone in front of me, folks. My wife hates that, but I have to do that so it comes out clear on our broadcast to our website. So I know she's hearing that. So <laughs> she told me earlier. But anyway, yeah. so we're going to move over to the next story. And this one is uh, interesting because Mr. Bautista was telling me yesterday there's seven individuals surrounding Donald Trump that have been either indicted or arrested. And then the next candidate or the next person that was indicted or arrested, actually, he was arrested yesterday, Steve Bannon. Bannon? That's how you say his name? Yeah, he was... Uh, yes. The former of uh, Bennett, yeah, former White House aide, and let's go ahead and play a clip. Advisor, advisor, there you go. Yeah. I want to go ahead and play a clip. Steve Bannon has been arrested and what? indicted by the Manhattan U.S. Attorney, uh, federal prosecutors in Manhattan. For more on that, we'll get to our Eamon Jabbers. Hey, Eamon. Yeah, Carl, this news just coming out from the Southern District of New York saying that Steve Bannon and three other men uh, have been arrested and indicted uh, in charged in relation to their role uh, in a nonprofit organization called We Build the Wall. It's a crowdfunding organization that the SDNY says uh, has raised about $25 million uh, for wall-related funding. Uh, what the uh, indictment here is alleging is that Bannon and these others were skimming some of the proceeds from that fundraising for themselves, uh, even though they had suggested publicly that uh, this was a volunteer organization and they were not taking salaries. The indictment document here says that Bannon publicly stated, we are a volunteer organization. Those representations, the government says, were false. Uh, They also say that Steve Bannon through a nonprofit organization under his control, Nonprofit One, as it's referred to here in the document, received over $1 million from We Build the Wall, at least some of which they say Bannon used to cover hundreds of thousands of dollars in his own personal expenses. So- well, what can you say? What can you say, folks? You know, you. They bailed, they bailed him out yesterday with a, a million dollar bond. Um, uh, so. Yeah, this guy's in trouble. He's in a lot of trouble because you know what? They won't. Uh, if 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 uh, Trump doesn't succeed to win, they will be indicting him afterwards. Yeah, and there will be there will be no no no, no pardon for him, and he's yeah. going to serve between six and nine years. Now, Mr. Montes, I don't know if this is this the story that um when they were in Las Cruces, there was a bunch of people there and. 
and even uh, I think one of the Donald Trump's sons came down to a Paso or Las Cruces. Was that or Santa Teresa? Uh, this, uh, Sunland Park. Sunland Park. Sunland Park. Yeah. Is that the same same the fund that they're talking about? Yes, it is. And um, it's not just Steve Bannon who was involved. It was a other man named Brian Colfage who's also been indicted here. He was right. uh, he was present during a lot of those events and. Uh, a lot of the issue that rose when they started to, um, you know, construct their fence was that they, <laughs> they, didn't, receive, they didn't receive any, um, they didn't receive any permitting from the city of Sunland Park. And they completely evaded yeah. all of that process in order to just railroad this thing without really getting anyone's approval. And so uh, the city of Sunland Park and its mayor received all kinds of threats and uh, their, their phone lines were jammed for those couple of weeks. And the mayor also received death threats from people from all over the country who are, wow. supporting, this, who are supporting these men. Uh, just goes to show you, you know, the kind of operation uh, that we all suspect that they were running um, and uh, just the toxicity that that gravitates around this kind of thinking i know you're you're very very on hands when it came to the last last year with the immigration when they're, they're, they were being you know, transported to the to the greyhound yeah i know you're very involved in that in that reporting and coming from you know, a reporter on the field i mean on the ground what what can you tell individuals that what you saw regarding the state of those individuals i mean those that came from different countries just to seek a better world and yet they're treated like Sometimes animals, I know there's people on Facebook calling them this and cockroaches, and it's sad. I mean, these are humans. These are human beings coming to, a, to the United States to make a better world. And so, I mean, what are you, what's your perspective on that, uh, Mr. Montes, when it comes to like being the reporter and seeing that? Sure. Well, you know, as a reporter, you're supposed to be impartial, neutral. Um, but when you see some of the things that, that uh, we witnessed last year, uh, it, it's very difficult, uh, you know, not to just come out and say this is wrong because it, it was uh, keeping people under the bridge to um, lay down on the dirt and the rocks. And, uh, you know, that, that was, that was inhumane and mm -hmm. to be keeping them outside like that uh, to be you giving them those Mylar blankets for, you know, for, for comfort. That wasn't, that's not uh that's not the message that we've sent to the rest of the world in terms of um, being a beacon for freedom and for, um, for light. Uh, this, the, but it's reflective of the Trump administration and just their approach to just about any policy. They're willing to, um, they're willing to treat humans like this just so that they can serve their base and get votes. For me, that's, that's incredibly wrong and abhorrent. Um, and some of the stories that came out from last year, like the one we did with the New York Times about the conditions at the Clint facility, also go to show you that they don't care yeah. about the process uh, that their own agencies are going through or the conditions their own agencies and workers are going through, just as long as they're executing these inhumane practices. It, um, it's incredibly infuriating. They're a bunch of racists, and that's that's why they treat people the way they do. They treat us like that because they they think they're superior, and and so they look at at our, those kids as as animals. You know, they treat their dogs better than they treat us, or or you know, or or those kids. And, and getting back to to Steve, you know, Steve Bennett. 
Uh, I'm, I'm not, I don't feel bad that he took that $25 million or whatever. I mean, if you're stupid enough to give him that money, hey, I've got a, I've got an account if anybody wants to volunteer to give me money for the, for the, you know, the fans that I'm building over here. Right. And the thing is that people, that's the thing, that's just, just, just to tell you that they were able to raise $25 million for that fence. And I think a lot of this is per- propagated by the president, all the stuff that he says. And, and, and just to me, just we need to go really go out there and vote because four more years of President uh, Trump is that's scary. I mean, <clears throat> as right now with the pandemic, he, I don't think he's really properly addressed it. The numbers are, are you know, what, 174,000 have died so far? Right. And, and I don't mean to interrupt. He's you, trying to ignore it. Right. But, you know, the, the problem also with the Trump administration, well, in, in particular with Donald Trump himself, is his rhetoric uh, inspires a lot of these individuals to act out. Uh, mm-hmm. we, we saw the, these armed mm-hmm. militias show up to Sunland Park uh, and they, they themselves conducted an arrest of migrants, which is, which is incredibly infuriating. Um, his, rhetoric, his rhetoric was also parroted by the shooter that came here. Exactly. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. So, you know, this election is is incredibly important because of the kind of influence that the president holds and the words that they choose. And when we have somebody like Donald Trump spouting out so much racist and hate. And the way that he's trying to uh, to communicate to people or to the to the. You broke up again, and the thing, <clears throat> one thing that Mr. Uh, that Donald Trump has said repeatedly, and he keeps saying that you know the Chinese, the Chinese virus, to me that just inflames people. That, I mean, I mean you have to admit there's some people that are that are uh, brainwashed very easily by content they see on TV or the radio, and so when you know you have the president of the United States calling it the Chinese virus, I mean that's just something that we really need to address that. This is not a Chinese virus. This is a virus. This is, you, know, you know, George, you'll be surprised, but there's a book coming out. It's going to detail a lot of the information from from the the the, the Trump uh, the way that they uh, they uh, devise their policies. They go through uh, the Fox Channel, and the the Fox channels are the the people that the commentators are. They're the ones that are actually developing the policy for him. So whatever he sees there, he uses, you know, and he repeats. Well, talking about policy, I'm a good transition here. Good policy. You know what they say about the post office, uh, Mr. Montes? What do they say? No rain or shine or sleet or whatever? Yes, no rain, no shine, or hail, nor sleet. We'll get get your mail there, except for Donald Trump. But let me me (laughs) tell you you why. I'm going to play a clip here. Trying to upstage the Democrats, President Trump campaigned in a pair of swing states Monday, delivering this startling and false claim that threatens to undermine American democracy. The only way we're going to lose this election is if the election is rigged. The president, without evidence, keeps escalating his attacks on universal mail-in voting and defending recent policy changes at the Postal Service that critics warn could delay the delivery of ballots. I also want to have a post office that runs without losing billions and billions of dollars a year. On the opening night of their convention, top Democrats pounced. The president may hate the post office, but he's still going to have to send them a change of address card come January. Voter fraud is very, very common. For President Trump- In your house, yeah, in your house. <laughs> and that's the thing that he keeps, 
like Mr. Moses was saying, he keeps putting all of his rhetoric out, you know, false out accusations that the there's the, the mail-in is, is these to to fraud and there's no there's no nothing to show that. That's why the people even experts saying why you know why does he keep saying that? And I think that he what I'm thinking, in my opinion, folks, I think he's posturing to when he loses the election, he could say, Oh, it was fraud, it was rigged and now you know go to court. This this man's not gonna get out of get out of jail. I mean get out of the White House very easily. He's gonna make it. No, they're fight. gonna have they're gonna have to move him physically out of there because he's already said that. He's already indicated that he's not going to leave, uh, you know, he wants to be a, a third-term president. No. Well, I think today, there's a, if I'm not mistaken, uh, you know, Mr. Montes, what, what can, the, um, would like to be there. Wasn't the Senate going to go to the vote and vote for a $25 billion uh, aid to the post office today? Right. Yes. I believe there's supposed to be a vote. Um, I'm looking for updates, but I haven't seen any yet. But, you know, just to add on to uh, what you all are saying is that the, the, the part of the problem is that Trump has a lot of people around him who enable his behavior. Sure. Um, yep. You know, yeah. a lot of the people that, you know, we would <laughs> we would say have some common sense. Um, they've left and they've done their part saying that, you know, he's not fit for the office. But people who are left in that administration are just enablers. They're people who are not going to push back against this man. And, you know, come November, that's why the Democratic Party keeps saying we need to make sure that this is a convincing win. Um, and it's another reason why, you know, we should be very uh, critical and analytical of the way things get handled over the next couple of months. And even during those times, because we're going to see, you know, just how... Um, our democratic practices are going to be tried and pushed. And we're going to see, you know, how effective they are because uh, with the Mueller investigation, you know, there was obviously criticisms of how that was handled. Um, all this uh, issue between executive and legislative um, ability and power, you know, that's being tried because, you know, president, no, this, this president just thinks that he can do whatever he wants. Yep. Uh, yeah, well, just uh, the uh, the uh, Supreme Court ruled that he had to turn in his his uh, income tax, and uh, two two days ago, I think uh, a federal judge told him the same thing. He said, "You know, no, we're you know we're not going to play that game. You know, you have to turn in your 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 taxes." You know, let me ask you uh, this: to the, to the, uh, let me ask both of you this. I mean, the prosecutors, and and again, of course, he's going to go and he's trying his best to. To fight it because he knows he's in trouble. Well, let me ask you both this gentleman's yeah, question. Yeah. All presidents prior to this have given up their tax returns prior to you know, the elections. And for some reason, this particular president has decided not to do that. And it's, it's like if he's hiding something or if he's, if he's, but that's the thing that just right away should have brought up a red flag. Okay, why, why don't you want to release your, your, um, your tax records? I mean, anybody, everybody, I mean, why, why wouldn't you? What, what is this to hide? And the thing for me is that, you know, when you're He's a crook. well, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. You know, how, when you start doing that, and probably Mr. Motors knows more than me and you, Mr. Mr. Bautista, that he was you lying. You know, George, you he, he was a crook before. He, he, oh, yes. He, he filed for bankruptcy, what, three, four times before, you know, yeah, well, he, the, um, in, in, in New yeah, Jersey. He, but he was, a, he was a crook long before. Yeah. He was yeah. a crook long before he became president. He used to 
He used to, you know, um, mess with con contractors and not pay them. Mm -hmm. uh, and, 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 you know, he's, he hates, he hates the, the uh, immigrants, but he's got a bunch of them working for him in his hotel. No, he yeah, right. That to the people, you know, <laughs> and he doesn't pay them well. No, he doesn't. And so we're going to go and transition to the next story because we want to get to Mr. Bolt Mr. Montes. And we're going to transition from the national to local. But right now, I want, I want to play one more national news. I, uh, I heard this yesterday, last night. And uh, I even forgot about it. That it's called the Golden State Killer. As a matter of fact, I think my background is the Golden State, isn't it, Mr. Montes? I think my background is the Golden State. Yeah, that's the Golden Bird, yes. Yeah. So um, I'm going to play you a clip of this gentleman. Of this, I don't know I'm not a common gentleman, this animal. And uh, he even taunted his victims. I mean, just he was a former cop, a police officer. Let me play this video, this uh, clip. The chilling moment in the sentencing of one of America's most notorious serial killers, the sentencing of the Golden State Killer in California. Former police officer Joseph D'Angelo Jr. sentenced to life with no parole, confessing to 13 murders and more than 50 rapes in the 1970s and 80s. Well, after days of hearing from survivors, he rose from his wheelchair and addressed them. Here's ABC's Matt Gubbin. For decades, the man you see prowling his jail cell let murder and rape speak for him. I've listened to all your statements. But tonight, the Golden State Killer muttering this apology to his victims. And I'm truly sorry. Moments later, Joe D'Angelo was sentenced to life without parole. Cold comfort to Chris Pedretti, raped when she was 15. He stole my youth, my innocence. Who could have grown up to be? I guess I'll never know. He was one of the most sadistic serial killers in history, even taunting victims with phone calls. He was captured living in plain sight in 2018. That's, that is scary, folks. I mean, and then to taunt his victims, and <clears throat> he was a police officer for, for I think, uh, 14 years before he got caught shoplifting. I was seeing the story last night on him, a documentary. And I mean, it just puts chills, you know, like that could be your neighbor, right? And you, you don't know. And that's the thing that really, you know. So, I mean, Mr. Montes, you being the reporter, what's. You know, go ahead. Mr. Montes. Uh, George, I was just going to say, you know, the thing that's, that's not just scary, but it's disgraceful. This guy, uh, I'm sure he was a white cop. And, 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 and you know, they, they didn't give him the death penalty. And we've given people for far less. The death penalty, and and that's disgraceful, you know that they that they gave him life, you know, that, that guy shouldn't be alive today. He's seventy four years old, and and then he was saying that they were saying that he was frail, but they had videos of him jumping on the, on the desk to change the lights. So I mean, he's still doing it now. He's seventy four years old. He's still being manipulating. But how could I ask Mr. Montes? You know, in recent memory, Mr. Montes covering El Paso, the borderland. What, what story comes out to you, pops out to you, like you saw as a real tragedy? I mean, um, besides, I don't want to talk about the shooting because that that's a tragedy that can never yeah. be taken away. But something that you saw on the personal level, like you saw, like, wow, you know, what, what, what really kind of popped out for you? Well, we had one. There there have been quite a few. Um, and But, you know, to, you know, to give the audience um, perspective or – um, view on a on a recent one. It was the disappearance of of, of this woman, who 
we couldn't find for months. And um, it took so long for us to finally find, uh, you know, the person that, you know, has the alleged uh, charges against. But what was concerning for me was we quickly saw um, us look up her history. And I thought that that was not a good way to cover the story. Um, uh, It was um, that I, I think that was you know, the wrong way to go about it because I'm sure her family was going through so much. I, um, sure her friends, um, you know, were, were incredibly worried about what had happened to her. And you guys know from the Coliseum? Yes. Oh, okay. The woman okay. who had gone to that concert yes, and then didn't come back. Um, that one in particular, that one, you know, as it goes, as it continues, I still reflect on, on, um, those early days and how, um, people viewed her and her history. It was, that was not right. Um, but of course, I mean, there are so many cases also um, just in our neighboring city. Uh, mm-hmm. Earlier this year, a woman named uh, Isabel Cabanillas, a, uh, an activist in Juarez, uh, she was found shot to death um, while having ridden her, while she was riding her bike back home. And in, nothing there have been no charges no one's been arrested um and the 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 incredibly saddening and infuriating thing is that this happens so much um in our sister city well do you do you recall i can't remember the the little girl's name she was about five years old remember that rapist that that cut her hands off and uh so that they wouldn't find the fingerprints and all that and uh he, he took her out of the uh, Walmart. Do you remember? You recall that? It's been it's been a long time, but you remember who that was? A little girl. Oh, that, that was Regina a reporter. That was um. Matter of fact, we did a fundraiser for her, Ashley Flores. I believe yes. her name was. Yes. Uh, the killer was yeah. David Montaria. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That? Andale, yeah. That's right. That's right. Now that was that was sickening. That was sickening. I mean, and, I mean, just and uh, matter of fact, her her brother, David Montaria's brother, our sister, worked at the police department. And they gave her so much, so much hell about that. I mean, if, I'm, that's yeah, her brother, yeah. and yeah. she didn't do it. But, but anyways, I, I want to talk two more, two more topics real fast, Mr. Montes, before we uh, continue on with your discussion. And well, before I forget, Mr. Bautista, before, people that are watching on Facebook Live, we have our T-shirts. We have our no. Oh, what? You... Yeah, I forgot about that. Sorry about that. We uh, have our, our no vision internet do... radio T-shirts. <laughs> um, we do. I... I thought I was. I thought I was not wearing anything. So I'm wearing <laughs> <Right>. a shirt. <laughs> so the next, the next story I want to talk about. <laughs> no one incorporates this with your discussion, Mr. Montes. Later on, is that I saw a story last night. I, it kind of passed my radar that El Paso ranked number one worst cities to look for a job during the pandemic, and I was very surprised to hear that. So let me play you a clip about that. Best and worst cities for unemployment, El Paso takes first place. But in this case, first place is the worst. A study showing the best and worst cities for unemployment during COVID-19 put El Paso on top of the list for U.S. cities. Think about that. Data from Glassdoor ranks cities on total job openings, CEO approval ratings, and top salaries. The Sun City has 6,453 job openings, according to the study. And that, I didn't know that. Paso? Paso? 
I was very surprised. Oh, and that's and that's in, that's one of the questions I want to have with Mr. Montes regarding, you know, the 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 the, the, the plight of people looking for jobs here in El Paso. You know, our 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 uh, economic excuse me uh, platform is really based on retail and service industry, which is waiters and waitresses and and all that yeah. and fast food services and all yeah. that. Call centers, call centers and I mean yeah that's the thing where you know that's that those type of jobs is not where you could build a career on, buy a house, you know, raise a family because those, you know, especially call centers. Call centers they'll get rid of you in the heartbeat. And I mean Mr. Montes, by you being elected to the city council, is there what can you what can you see in the future when it comes to especially now coming out of the pandemic, can you see it in regards to jobs? or the lack of jobs here in El Paso. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you. Um, this particular issue reminds me of a convention there, that there was at, at uh, UTEP not long ago. It was held by the uh, Texas Tribune. <clears throat> and uh, they asked uh, the mayor, a couple of other um, of our, um, I, I guess, leadership at the city level, you know, tell us about the economy. And everyone on the panel said, oh, well, the state of the economy here is strong. Uh, <laughs> and, um, and the moderator asked, well, who's it strong for? Because, you know, looking at all the demographic data, you know, there's a lot of people who are not making living wages. True. And so I think that this pandemic um, has really shown um, the kind of uh, situation that we are in in terms of our job market. And you're absolutely right. Most of those jobs that uh, people my age uh, are working at, you know, tend to be service related. They tend to be at call centers. Um, but, you know, part of that um, has, part of that has to do with what our efforts are in terms of recruiting industry. You see, we, you know, I'm sure you all have seen, um, we, we kept trying to attract Great Wolf Lodge uh, as part of our economic development policy, we've gone after all these entertainment venues saying that we need these things before good jobs come. And, and now we're starting to see the fruits of that kind of policy mm -hmm. and it just doesn't work. Um, so for me, um, if I can get into this office, what I want to do is there are plenty of people in the research and development and technology uh, and uh, business administration world here that I feel we can cultivate a corridor um, because the issue is, is that to get into the American market is very difficult because it's very competitive. Uh, you'll, you'll be competing with cities like San Francisco, Austin, Dallas, San Antonio, New York city, and um, a lot of new businesses that are dealing with that kind of um, with that kind of uh, business are going to go to those cities, but we're on the border. And we have a unique opportunity to go into a market uh, that I feel is looking for attention and uh, looking for support. And I believe we can work with uh, groups coming out of Mexico in terms of doing technology related and research and development related um, industry. Uh, every year, well, except for this one, there's a convention where they show you all of the innovation that's going on in, in the country in terms of manufacturing, but also in terms of creating items. And it's incredible. And my thought is, is if we can help them get a foot into the U S market, 
um, they can help us in terms of getting good paying jobs to people who are graduating from universities here. Um, and there are other things that we can do that we already have good relationships with. Uh, for example, the tech center and um, all the people involved in the engineering department at UTEP, they have incredible relationships with um, aeronautic businesses um, like NASA uh, as a government agency, uh, Lockheed Martin, who is constantly looking into um, aeronautics and research and development in those fields. Um, they are familiar with us because they constantly recruit our students uh, to, to intern with them and to work with them. And a lot of the times our students end up going to their office. And I don't understand why we haven't tried uh, to get them to build this or have a satellite office here in El Paso. Uh, we have a lot of land. Uh, I'm sure we could work with the county uh, to get them something set up out in uh, the Fabens area and they can have their headquarters inside of the city. Uh, there are just so many things that I think we could be using and prioritizing right now. Uh, and frankly, I think the pandemic, you know, kind of showed, you know, how flawed uh, what we've been doing has, uh, of what we've been doing, because we're, we've bet so much on tourism that uh, when something like this happens, it shows you what's really important. You know, I don't think people are going to be going to um, big venues uh, for, for, for some time because we're going to be dealing with this virus for a while. It's not just going to go away overnight. Um, let, me, let, me, let, me, let me interrupt you on that. I'm glad you said sure. that about, about going to big arenas. Yes. You being helping the position of public office, seeing the responsibility of being, of having our community be in a position where it can recover from this pandemic. Mm -hmm. And what I'm trying to transition to, uh, Mr. Montes <clears throat> and Mr. Bautista, is a story I heard yesterday, and I, I know, it kind of bothered me, mm -hmm. but at the same time, I know that you know, we want to get back to some kind of normal, I guess you want to say, but let me play you this clip, and, and just get your point of view. I took it as an error, you shouldn't be doing it, but I want to play you what the locomotive is going to be doing uh, next week. You, you'll hear. No, we're not. Sorry about that. <laughs> First day. Games of the 2020 season. These are the only fans allowed at Southwest University Park, the cardboard conductors. But when Locomotive FC returns for its next home match on August 29th, fans will be allowed into the stadium to watch them play Real Monarchs. The club announced this afternoon that around 800 fans or 11% capacity will be permitted inside. Masks are mandatory, as are COVID-19 screenings prior to entry. I mean, what do you take on that? Do you think they should be doing that or not? I mean, being that we still have numbers granted, I think they're trying to, they're starting to flatten out. I'm not sure if people are not going to test anymore, but I'm seeing the numbers drop a lot from 300 now to the, the, the low 100s, but still the numbers are out there and people are still dying. So, I mean, what do you both say about opening up an arena like that or a stadium like that for, for soccer it's, to the public? It's too early. Um, like you, you bring up a good point access to testing is still in question. And there is a question about how many people are going and getting it. Um, so I don't think that's a good move. And we saw earlier that, uh, that UTEP is also going to permit uh, so many people to the games um, when football season starts. It's incredible. You know, yesterday, uh, yesterday they had a, um, 
and, and Notre Dame and several other universities, you know, start opened out, and now they're having to shut down because they had over over ninety seven or one hundred ninety seven something like that uh, people that contracted the virus while going to to school. What makes them think that they're not going to get that, that that same problem? They're not going to have that same problem in, in athletics. Look, the professionals are having to shut down, and they've got the money. They've got they can test every day. They they got the resources. They got the facilities. They're not, you know, they're having difficulty. What, you know, I don't know why these people gives them the, the the thinking that they can open up and that the fans go and watch the football games. So anxious to see, uh, you know, the games. Watch the games from, you know, watch the reruns if you're that bad off, you know, that you have to watch games, you know. I think Michigan. That's I'm my my opinion. I think Michigan State, or was it Notre Dame or Michigan State, had over 300 students uh, that were um, tested. Yeah, and they had, it was Notre Dame. Was it Notre Dame? As a matter of fact, Notre Dame opened the, didn't it open the, the campus? It was, I think it was Michigan. Let's see. Well, I know NC, Charlotte, Michigan State, or Michigan, um, Iowa State, and uh, Notre Dame had opened their facility, happened, opened their, their campuses. And I think Notre Dame went back yeah. to school for two weeks, they were going to close. And I think uh, NC, Charlotte, if I'm mistaken, they said, you know what, or Chapel Hill, I'm sorry. They said, you know what, we're done. Everything's going to go remote. Right. And, um, so are you seeing the numbers for that, Mr. Montes? Well, I, br- I brought up a New York Times. They're, they're, uh, they're all going to have to shut down, George. I, I don't know what, what's going on. Right. Well, it was uh, 336 coronavirus cases. They identified those um, on Friday. And so it looks like they're starting yeah. to change their approach. Uh, but to your point, um, you know, just the problem is, uh, is our priorities, right? Uh, and taking a look at the way, yeah. um, the way things are being, what we're telling the public. So for example, um, we have constantly told the public, avoid gatherings. <laughs> a sporting event is a gathering. How is it that... We can be saying both <laughs> things. Yeah. The other thing, yeah. too, is people keep saying, well, look at the NBA. Well, the NBA has a very controlled environment. They have their teams living in what they're literally calling a bubble right yes. now, <laughs> where yeah. Yeah. it's a very controlled environment, and they're, they're in the playoffs now, so you have a lot less people coming in and out of that environment. But even yeah. that is very risky. I mean, you have a bunch of – you have the refs and all the administrative uh, staff wearing masks. The players are sitting socially distanced from each other during games. You know, as much as I want to, uh, and forgive me, I know a lot of people are not going to like it, but um, <laughs> as much as I want to see the Dallas Cowboys go to the Super Bowl this year, um, <laughs> I just know that, you know, it's not, this is not a good time. You know, for it us. wasn't feasible, Mr. Montes. It wasn't feasible when, <laughs> before the epidemic. There's no way. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny uh, yeah. about that when they were talking about UTEP, but, and then, uh, the the people, the, the fans for the UTEP games. I'm like, wait a minute, nobody ever shows up to the games, anyways. <laughs> oh, oh man, that's not to say that. I'm sorry. We're doing this Cognovision Internet Radio with Mr. Bautista, the co host, and we're talking to Aaron Montes, the candidate <laughs> for District 7. We're going to go ahead and transition to this to discussion with Mr. Montes on his platform for the city and what he sees for the city. And Mr. Montes, 
one thing I've asked all the people, individuals that we had on the, on our show that are running for public office, from uh, Aleno to Galahad to Gainat, all those individuals, I've asked them one question, I'll ask you the same question. What do you see in, in regards to what's the biggest barrier for El Paso to recover from the pandemic? Sure. Um, and it's, it's a little bit of what we were talking about with um, uh, the soccer team opening its stance. Priorities. Uh, we prioritize uh, things that we really shouldn't be doing right now. So we're putting um, a lot of business interest ahead of people's public health. We saw that in the votes when it, com when it comes to releasing even aggregated totals of confirmed cases in areas. Um, we are not doing enough to ensure that people are practicing the CDC guidelines, even at restaurants. I'm sure, I don't know if you've seen the videos and photographs at, at, at a few um, what were bars and have converted into restaurants, mm -hmm. but they are packed. Yep. And that, um, Mr. Motors, that, um, right here in Yarbrough, where we live by Yarbrough in the freeway, mm -hmm. my wife, she was going to work and she, she called me, she said, because she gets upset when she sees that. She's like, you're not going to believe this. I'm like, what? Applebee's parking lot is packed. Right. Right. And on Facebook, they had a guy take a photo at the Texas Roadhouse, and then he said, uh, "I can't believe it. Every chair was full." Yeah, yeah. I'm like, "What?" And, I mean, and, and and you know what? And the thing is, is that what's funny is that, well, if you, you got to take off your mask to eat. True. Duh, you mm -hmm. know, and, and and they're next, they're backpack next to each other, and and then they they act like, well, you know, it's just just for this, just for the meal. And then after we get out of here, we'll put our mask back on. But the thing is, was, I think what it is, a lot has to do with not uh, El Paso, uh, the city of El Paso, not having a health director. And what do you, what's your opinion on that, Mr. Montes, regarding that having a, a health director and, and a lead? Um, I can't say that word. Epidemiologist. I, there you go. Thank you. <laughs> no, no, it's okay. I, I had to practice quite a bit. Right, um, so yeah. what's your opinion on that? Right. I mean, those are those are the steps. I mean, those are a few steps towards us um, addressing this virus on a better in a better way. But it's not going to be the end all be all. We need to ensure that the public health department also has uh, the manpower uh, to to do the kind of contact tracing, the kind of administrative work, the kind of uh, testing and uh, robust yeah. approach that we need. We took we, we made an incredible mistake furloughing so many employees before really knowing what to do with the CARES Act funding. And I've yeah. been very critical of the city council on this because Houston is keeping 3,000 employees on the pay using CARES Act dollars, and their jobs are just being repurposed to address the virus. We could have done that from, from the get-go. But instead, we let go over 400 people. Uh, my understanding is half of them have been cut. Half of them are still sitting on the bench. We need to activate them, get them you know, to testing sites so that they can help all the groups that are doing the testing so that they can mm -hmm. handle the administrative work. But my thought is, is that uh, what the, the countries that have handled this the best – um, they, we need to adopt some of those practices. So, for example, in South Korea, I have a couple of uh, friends that are stationed out in Seoul. 
what they did was they had some of their employees from the public health department at some of the biggest establishments for businesses. And what they did is they had an infrared thermometer. They would check people's temperature before entering those buildings. Their temperature was high. They scheduled them for a test and they were able to get it going quickly. We need to adopt practices like that mm-hmm. because when I when and, and for, you know, I, I, I totally agree with you. I passed by the Applebee's on Yarborough myself, but <laughs> I, I also passed the fountains and so if we, if we were able to increase the kind of administrative groups and work with these businesses to ensure that people are being safe, that we're, uh, being more proactive about identifying where this virus is in our community, I think those are ways for us to finally get on top of this because right now we're taking an incredibly relaxed position, mm-hmm. not enforcing these guidelines, um, not holding these places accountable, and not releasing this data. It's dangerous. This is a this is a deadly virus that kills people. And well, let me ask you that, Mr. Mota. I mean, let me to interrupt you, but I want to ask you about that because recently the city council took an item up for a vote, and of course it was, it was broken by no, well, the initial one was broken by uh, Dean Margo by releasing information when it comes to clusters. Yeah. And uh, what is? And we asked Anello last week about that. What was your stance on that regarding the release of information? You being a former reporter, right? I I, I agree with that. Um, when I was a reporter still earlier this year, uh, we did a story on the psychiatric center where one of the first outbreaks was hap- uh, beginning. And we knew it was the psychiatric center. We had documents, we had testimony from employees, you know, we knew. And when we approached the uh, uh, Dr. Ocaranza and the health department, they would not say, yes, it's the psychiatric center even though we had all of these documents, all these documents, all they would say is this medical center. And that is just characteristic of the problem is that we are trying so much not to embarrass these places that we are putting people's health at risk. And I think the, one of the most compelling things for me um, in terms of releasing this kind of data is think of the workers who have to be in these conditions. Because when I got all of the preliminary data, uh, when the city was sending out warnings and citations, uh, when you look at all the call logs that people make to the, uh, uh, the 311 number or even on the El Paso Strong website, you constantly see employees saying, I think there's an outbreak at my facility, but they're not telling us <laughs> and nothing's wow. changing. You well, see well Mr. M- Mr. Montes, one, <clears throat> here's, here's the thing. You, you, you were talking about going by the, the, the um, Applebee's and you see seeing all those vehicles and the fact that they're packed. Are they not getting fined? Are there people not turning them in for, for uh, the fact that they're, they're, they're operating the business out of, uh, you know, without the, the u- utilizing the rules, uh, you know that they're supposed to have like twenty five percent, you know, uh, uh, people in there or twenty fifty percent of the of the, what they used to be. You know, uh, are they not turning them in? 
because it's you know it's also the thing is that they're, if they're not being penalized, why not? I mean, you know, if if you had a business and they're not penalizing you for it, you might say, well, you know, I mean, it's not my problem; it's theirs. That you know, right? To address your question, my initial thought is, I hope you're doing the right thing <laughs> because of the scenario we're all living right now. But to answer your other question, um, most of the time they are given warnings. And once, not good enough. Right. Once they receive so many warnings, then I believe they receive a citation. Um, but even early on, there were, I, I believe after two months and a half, there were only about seven citations issued. Yeah, and the, and the, right. And the penalties, yeah. penalties aren't really that high. I mean, profit, you know, if these, if these places are making, you know, tens of thousands of dollars a weekend and they get a $450 fine, yeah, they're going to weigh that. Well, well, you know, well, I think what it is, people are becoming complacent because even in our neighborhood, Mr. Uh, Mr. Montes, do we, you live in District 7, right? Yes. Oh, of course, I'm ready for it. Hello. Duh. <laughs> yes. Oh, I, I should yeah, ask, yeah. what area do you live by? Do you live more <laughs> by? I live on Pelicano and George Dieterson. I was about to do a controversy. <laughs> He's not living in District 7. <laughs> no, the, I live right here by uh, High School. <laughs> and, and last weekend, last weekend, last Saturday, there was three parties, big parties. I'm talking about where they blocked our, like in front of where we live. And I'm like, what is, you know, what in the hell's going on? People having parties, like nothing. Like just like if it's normal. Matter of fact, what drew my attention to them, when I told you, Mr. Bautista, about this one, I heard like a bunch of people yelling. <clears throat> and I figured it out, my wife was telling me, because you know, I can't see, that they have a pool two houses down from us. <clears throat> no, the above the, the above ground pools, and they had a party there. People were jumping in the water, and they're all yelling. I'm like, isn't that how you expel the droplets? Is by yelling in big groups, huh? And that's just amazing. That and I, I just don't see well how people are just taking this so chalantly that oh, I'm not gonna get it or forget this or forget that. And I don't know. To me, it's just it's just ridiculous. But let me let me go on before I get my soapbox here. Uh, Mr. Montes, so when it comes, especially for this district, District Seven, being not not the oldest part of El Paso, but older, one of the older parts, right? In the, the compared to downtown and whatnot, but the streets, oh heck, even where Mr. Bautista lives, he, he lives in District Three. The streets are really bad. So how can you address that if you become part of City Council? Right, and um, you know, to to address your earlier comment, I mean. This is happening across the country because you know it's just because our leaders don't take it seriously. I look mm -hmm. at the the Sturgis event. I mean, oh, yeah. there were thousands and thousands of people without masks, yeah. Um, yeah, not taking it seriously. So I think we just we really need to consider uh, the culture and the way we talk about the pandemic. But you're you're asking about streets, and I get this question a lot, uh, and here's. It's a very big issue how we get to um, really having good revenue to address the streets. And so this is going to be a lot, so just bear with me. <clears throat> I'm sure you all have noticed that even over the last five years, the east side has grown a lot. And with that comes all kinds of expenses we need to make in terms of providing service and infrastructure 
further and further out. And, in, and in, as a result, it stretches us thin and we put what revenue we are making into those areas. And so money that we could have used in the inner part of the city, we are putting out there. That's one aspect to it. The other one is, is that when these developers subdivide and build maybe, you know, 4,000 units plus of houses, it also is put on the utility to go in and put in those connections for the electricity, exactly for the water, uh, for us to go and do trash collection um, and all these different services that, that go along with that. So that kind of cost, those kinds of costs for the expanded service fall back on all of us who are in the inner city, what they call the ratepayers, but we're all essentially it's still the city. The other issue is there is a lot of um, subdivision improvement waivers being applied for. And I released a platform point about this where we are losing $5 million a year. And this has been since 2012 because we are saying, okay, you're going to go and build this. You don't have to build this, the hike and bike trail. You don't have to build the sidewalks. You don't have to build the streets. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Stop, 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 stop. You said $5 million a year? $5 million a year. So that's, that's $40 million. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yes. I'm sorry. And, uh, and yes, and this, I'm not making this up. <laughs> this is from the city plan commission's, mm. uh, the, the annual planning uh, review report for 2019. We found that yes, for five, we're losing on average $5 million a year because of these waivers. So in a, you know, since the, the, the developers themselves aren't building them, guess who builds them? We do. And then, we are responsible yeah. for maintaining those things because they're our property. They're not the developer's property. Oh, okay. Right. Okay. So we lose, a, we're losing a lot of revenue because we are not requiring these developers to pay into the infrastructure. Wow. Now the waiver aspect. Yes. I mean, I believe we need to implement policy that says, you know what? We can't afford to lose this revenue anymore. You need to commit. If you're going to go and subdivide, you need to meet these requirements. Mm -hmm. So, are you saying that that when they uh, when they develop, like um, for instance, uh, uh, like you were saying, those housing units, the streets, the the water, the sewer lines, all of that, it, the, the contractors have nothing to do with that. It's all it's all put on our hands on the city. Part so. Um, the waivers themselves are for the sidewalks, the streets, landscaping, and those mm -hmm. and hike and bike trails. So those that's where we're losing the $5 million a year. But yes, to your point, when they're building further east, yes, we have to pay the connection fees uh, for the water and for the electricity because mm -hmm. those, those um, houses are going to be getting serviced by the utilities that are serving us in the city. So it could either be that they are right on the border of the city limits or even just past the city limits where they're going to still connect to the utilities and we're all going to end up paying for that. Wow. Okay. So 
there, you know, so there's, that, there's a, so that, com com excuse me. So that community that, the, the new community that is developed, they don't pay for all the services. We in general have to pay for, for all, despite that they're, they're the ones that are purchasing their own, their own homes. We're having to pay for that. So what ends up happening is the developer pays for the homes, right? To build them. They pay for, mm -hmm. you know, whatever promise they're making in terms of uh, building out in those communities. So like, you know, if they're going to make like a retail center, if they're going to build a school. Yeah, they're going to cover those costs. But I'll give you an example. Um, I want to say this was not, la not this week, but the week before. Doug Schwartz, who is a very, you know, very uh, <clears throat> wealthy developer who who's part of this, um, he wants to build a community of, with 4,000 units, a school, um, and a, some other kinds of centers just past the city limits, just past it. <clears throat> so the, plan, the planning department came to the city council saying they are trying to implement what's called a public improvement district, and they need our, they need our, our go-ahead, because then they can't if they do. And the city reps were asking the same, well, a few of the city reps were asking the same questions you are, Mr. Bautista. Who's paying for this? And at the end of the day, we learned yeah. we pay for those connection fees. So the link-ups oh, the, for the water yeah. and the electricity. And the concern was, is we as a city are growing so much that way and we don't have enough population to go and move into the older communities and help them and improve them that we are at risk of hollowing out the core of the city. Yep. Well, you know, a majority of the council <laughs> voted this improvement along or this, this, this uh, subdivision along, even though we should, be, we should be aware and conscious of what's happening because there are so many problems associated with this. And, and my opponent voted for this he, and, and he has not addressed it at all. And there are so many things associated with this. Number one, of course, is the impact on people who are paying taxes already right now in the city who then have to help subsidize these newer places and then not let, get the resources. Let me, let me stop you there for just one second though, because I think that here's a, here's a thing. I believe sure. that, you brought that issue and your opponent, you know, voted for it. The public, all the people in your district that, that, that you're running for, they all should know about this because the, the problem is that, you know, people don't know what you vote on. And, and, and so I, I've always felt that you, we need to know how and what you voted for in general. You know, it's like the same thing when I, when I was a civil service commissioner, there was like seven voted for the city all the time and nobody knew why. And, you know, and so they, they could get by and say, well, no, I didn't vote for that, you know, and, mm -hmm. and, and you, they got to put their name out there so that the public will know why they're voting and who, what they're voting for, you know, mm -hmm. because put people out there that don't from first. Sorry to say it that way, but it's, and then that's why the city is in the, in the shape that it's in. Mm -hmm. Well, I think what it is a lot of time has to do with Mr. Bautista, which you kind of hinted to that was uh, being transparent because 
I'm going to be honest with you, Mr. Montes, your opponent, Mr. Henry Rivera, if you really look at his record, because um, me and a friend of mine sat down, we started looking at the record for, for Henry Rivera, the way he voted. <laughs> You'd be amazed, folks. You'd be amazed on what he voted against and for, and for. And that's why Mr. Bautista said that. We need to have some kind of uh, table of context, I guess you want to say, or index, to see how, how particular people voted for. And um, for you, Mr. Uh, Montes, let me ask you this question before. Oh, by the way, we are, we went beyond twelve o'clock. Are you okay with that time, or you, do you have to leave? No, I'm I, I'm I'm happy to talk about okay. this. I'm very passionate <laughs> about all this. I just want to make sure that we're good on your time because um, it's a lot of important things I want people to hear. Are you good, Mr. Bautista, with the time? I'm fine. I'm so. fine. I'm, I'm glad that Mr. So Montes is because I think he's been, <clears throat> he's been on some some real good important issues there, George. That, they need to be brought out, you know, and 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 the oh. public needs to know. Be well, the the thing about him, Mr. Bautista, this is why I, I think it's important. We kind of extend the time with Mr. Montes is that he has the perspective of having to has reported on these items, and and I'm not gonna lie to you, Mr. Montes. When I heard that you were, you know, you're you're, you're going to run for mayor, I mean for city council, my first initial thought was. What is a reporter doing running for city council? What is what is how does that come into context? But now I understand by hearing you is that you know more than what we know and you educate us. So let me ask you this. And then that what you brought up about the city. Cause see, we've had a lot of people on our on our show, Mr. Uh Montes, to this one and prior, my other platform I had. Every time I ask about the streets. They gave a general question or a general response. You you kind of detailed it out what the real problem is. So that's that's something that needs to be addressed with the developers. Let me ask you this. When it comes to the city manager being compensated at a higher rate than average cities around this area of Southwest, what's your opinion on that? Because in that sense, he worked for the city council. In other words, when you if you become elected, he'll be working for you in essence, or he will respond to you. What justifies giving him? I know it's by contract. I understand that, but what justifies giving him? I think he makes what three hundred thirty thousand dollars a year. To me, that's not justified because our budget is shot, our streets are shot, our police department is shot, our infrastructure is you know. So what what gives him the right to get that 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 raise? Right, and and. I apologize, you know, just to wrap up on the last thing, uh, these waivers impact the Valley much more than any other place in, in the city. And that's not right because for this community that has been historically um, underserved, been underserved, I, I think it's infuriating. Um, so that's why I'm so passionate about all this. Yes. But uh, to um, forgive me, <laughs> But to answer your question, I don't think there's a, I can't, I can't uh, summon a reason why uh, we should be compensating the city manager so much and giving him this raise right now. Now you mentioned the contract. Yes. I mean that, I mean, it's part of his contract, <clears throat> but he doesn't necessarily have to get the raise. And I feel that, um, I don't feel that he's addressing this particular issue uh, in terms of the growth and the challenges we have in terms of economic development. If anything, you know, he is feeding into the problem 
where we adopt all this non-voter approved debt and put more of the burden on the people of this city um, and put us in a much more difficult scenario. And I suspect it's to pat his resume so he can go on uh, to another city. Mm -hmm. But here's the thing, Mr. Salada. Mr. Montes. Oh, sure. Okay, hang on. Sure. No, 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 I was just gonna ask you. if, if you guys, like if you get uh, elected, isn't there a way to, to freeze any any uh, any raises for anybody? Like they do it for the employees. Why couldn't they have frozen his his twenty thousand dollar raise and say, you know, okay, well, normally you would get it, but we, you can't get it now because of the pandemic and because you know we're having to lay people off and et cetera, et cetera. Why couldn't they have done that to him too? Sure. Well, I mean, you just you need a council that is willing to go after that. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, is that. Um, you need to, we need to look at what his contract says. His contract says if he gets so much of a merit or so much of a, a performance yeah. evaluation, then he gets an increase. So that just means that a majority of the council says he's doing a great enough job for him to get yeah. a raise. And, yeah. even and that's not right. Yeah, it's that's not, not right. Right. And I don't think he's earned that. No, uh, I don't think he earned that because part of the contract or part of the performance evaluation is about character. Yeah. How, many, how many times have we seen him yell at, at his bosses and how yeah. many times have we seen him disregard uh, people who are truly concerned about the approach the city has that yeah. for me is there you go. There's a strike that needs improvement, you know, in terms of management, I can't tell you. Well, I mean, I've, I've followed this since I was at the El Paso Inc. But there is a there's a large turnover of people in his leadership. You constantly have department yeah. heads who are leaving, who retire or early. Transferring. Exactly. Who transfer mm-hmm. out. And yeah. for me, yeah. that's like, well, what what's going on? Yeah. Why mm-hmm. is that the case? So there you go. There's another thing needs improvement in terms of retention. You, you, I'm just, you know, I'm just concerned though that that, that's, that again, you know, I go back to the election of quality, qualitative individuals who know, understand, understand the budget, understand what's going on. This, you know, four of them. All it takes is four of them to to block uh, the rest of them, you know. And the mayor is not going to vote against against the the manager because he's the one that suggested that they, you know, that. They, he was doing such a great job. I, I'm just concerned that, uh, and this is not something that goes to you, but to our public, the voters of this city, we have, you know, we get what we pay for. And, and sorry to say that, but when I hear people complain, I tell them, you know, well, that's what we paid for. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, let's go talking about pay. Let's go back to the question about the budget. Okay. Um, yeah. I think that's important because <clears throat> I, I want to bring this out, Mr. Montes, to show Look, you know, the voters of the people that are watching this and are listening, that we want to be, especially me, I guess, because I live in District 7. I want to see that, you know, that right now our budget is shot. And obviously, Henry Rivera has not done much to help that in, in the way he's voted. And I hope when you come on board that you have that the different uh, concept of, you know, what do you know of the budget right now as it stands? Sure. 
Well, I mean, they're going to tout that they didn't raise the tax rate um, and that there is some assumption that the people's property values won't be raised this year. Um, but you, we still have to realize that sales tax is, is going to take an incredible hit for the next couple yeah. of for the, you know, I'm thinking for, well, it might, it's going to take an impact for the next year, but I really believe that it's also going to be hit for the next couple of years because of, yeah, right, because of the that. way we yeah. are relying on that revenue. And I know I keep going back to this, but the reason why I'm bringing up this issue with, in terms of oversight over development is because it costs us so much in terms of what we are getting from our general fund. You see the, the city financial officer, Robert Cortinas will tell you, well, you know, we're getting these more, we're getting more houses. So you get more revenue from those property taxes. And that might be true in some cases, but the problem is, is that El Paso's population is stagnant yep. right now. We are losing people and we don't have enough people who are investing or are going into older neighborhoods where these, we're not having generations of families stay essentially where they may have grown up or where, um, you know, they might be in the inner part of the city. They are instead electing to go further out into newer places um, because it's new and they don't have to worry about, you know, renovating their home. They don't have to worry about um, infrastructure that, you know, <laughs> needs a lot of maintenance. And so that hurts us because it's, a, it's an incredibly costly cycle. So for us to turn it around, you know, part of what we're doing is, you know, making sure that those waivers are not being granted now. We need to pass policy. We need to pass policy that uh, addresses what are called impact fees. To your concern, Mr. Bautista, that means um, the developers having to cover those costs for the connection fees for at least 10 sure. years. Because, sure. because yes, I, we cannot take those hits anymore. Mm -hmm. um, our ecological footprint cannot take it. When we are stretching our grid, our electrical grid so much, when we're stretching our water availability so, so much, that is costing us money every single year. And when we adopt those kinds of policies, that's the reason why your utility bills are going up too. Because we what about mercy? My ours, yep. What about what about the 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 businesses that come in or that we 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 exempt them for years? You know, okay, you don't have to pay. Uh, Texas for 10 years, you know, if you come in, like Amazon just came in, right? Right. Uh, how, <laughs> we give them a break and say, you know, it says, okay, for the next 20 years, you don't have to pay any taxes. Mm -hmm. You know, just hire our people. Right. And that's at the county level. But you bring up a very good point. If, I, if the business is going to bring in jobs that are going to pay El Pasoans good income, $15 and up, in uh, an hour if they're going to come in and do that well then yes we have a good negotiating stance. right but here's the problem of economic incentive pro uh, packages we are not requiring them to say okay if you're taking all these incentives you cannot challenge the the value of your property in other words 
if they go in and get these incentive packages, they can still challenge the, the appraised value of their properties, even though they're receiving all these tax breaks. We're well, not putting, that. yeah, we're not yeah. putting requirements where they can't do that. And there's a, there's a few examples like that. The, the court, the Marriott courtyard downtown challenged, mm -hmm. uh, the Montecito development challenged, even though it gets all those, even those particular projects get, uh, tax breaks. And that and is they not, got, and they got the, their, <laughs> their exemptions lowered or their, their challenges. They got them lowered. Exactly. Oh, we, of course, they're going to win because they're going to take the appraisal district to court and they're going to win. Right. And, right. The, you know, you hear you hear the mayor and all the the majority of council say, well, you know, the burden, uh, the tax burden on on um, on the commercial to residential base is 70 30. And it's the worst in the state. Well, they're adding to the problem yep. by not requiring those things. I think it's 70 commercial and 30 represent uh, 30 residential but when talking about i want to, i do want to talk about one thing before we leave uh mr montez sure um lately the hot topic or the hot term is defunding police mm -hmm. and uh i, I do want to ask you um especially being you know hands-on so to speak and, and many of these hot issues with being a reporter now the city council hopefully what, what, what's your take on the, the concept of defunding police. Sure. Well, changes are going to happen, whether we adopt them now or even in another couple of years. Bless you. And, you. and for you know, people to say that just because you want to make changes, you're anti-police, I think is wrong. Right. Um, our police department in particular is probably, a, is, now that I think about alone among major Texas cities, with departments that are outfitted with body cameras. And it all has to do with priorities. They've said that, yeah, the cameras themselves aren't expensive, but the cloud servicing is. <laughs> Why is it that like cities like Las Cruces and our own sheriff's department and the Horizon Police Department, Amarillo, Lubbock, yep. Fort Worth, Dallas, Austin, San Antonio, Midland, why is it that their departments are able to cover that cost? It's Let me stop you there. Yes. Let me stop you there, Mr. Montez. Sure. I'm glad you you said that. Think mm -hmm. about the, 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 the cameras, right? Sure. We mentioned this with Ms. Cabrahad. She said that it was, and we we, we all agree on this on this on this what she said. Uh, it would lower, it would mitigate litigation. It would mm -hmm. it would protect, so to speak, the police and the the citizens. Right. And yet, yeah. yeah, you have smaller, like you said. I, like, if do you watch that show? Um, I don't know if I've seen it on YouTube. Amy, the police, uh, where they follow the police. Uh, oh, cops. Live PD. What is it called? Live PD. Yeah. Okay. Nah, yeah. You have like That's small, yeah. small city like Mission Mission City, Texas, which I've never heard about. They have cameras. <laughs> yeah. Well, right. let me go back to my point here. You have a city representative, District Seven, a former police officer that you would think know the importance of cameras, but yet he has not pushed. Yes, he has for very small segments of the police department. I know this for a fact because uh, uh, my cousin's husband is a police officer. Actually, two of them are. And only specialized units like the DOI and other units have cameras, but not the general you know, police officer. To me, that's, I think, an injustice in itself. Him being a former police officer 
knowing the importance, I think he was 35 years or 30 years, 30. but yet, right now in El Paso, I think what 20% of police officers have cameras. That is totally unacceptable. So what can you do to address that, Mr. Montes? Right. There, I mean, there are, there are big things. There are little things. And some of the, just the small um, systematic things you can do is a lot of the times when the police are looking to go and get grants, that's where the money is come, should come from to fund these things. And it's there. Um, and those items in particular go on what's called the consent agenda. So I'm sure you both know on the consent agenda, it's just mm -hmm. kind of like, yes. all right, do you all approve these items? And everyone just votes yes. And then, yeah. right, then you move on. I think if, the, if we're going to be serious about this, Every time the police go for a grant and put it on the agenda, it needs to go on the regular agenda for a discussion yep. about what it is that they're going to buy. Because I have a particular problem with a militari militaristic style kind of police department. And for me, I was at the Memorial Park March. Mm -hmm. and, it was, I do too. and it was peaceful. And things did not escalate until you saw an armored vehicle um, addressing these protesters it, that is not a way to de-escalate things that is a way to escalate things because all of a sudden that energy is going to be rerouted and so i don't like the i don't like seeing people get tear gassed because even in military terms you tear gas has been banned as a chemical weapon i don't want to yeah. see i don't want to see people get shot with beanbags or with um those those pellets because they create bullets, rubber bullets, rubber yeah. bullets. They increase, they, they, they have their own impact that have put incredible injury on people. If we're going to be oh, serious, yeah. I thought in, the, in this community, in this community, in this country, I read that the people of this, of this country have the right to protest, to demonstrate. And if we're going to the constitution, to, yes, if we're going to honor that, then we cannot treat the people like that just because they have some, they have an idea that is going to radically change things. And for me, well, well, well let me, let me just kind of interrupt you there. I, I just sure. think that they have taken, they have taken uh, the, the, the Trump, Trumpism type uh, style of, of, of rhetoric uh, to heart. You know, they believe that, that, it, I mean, like, look at, he, he brought in the stormtroopers to, to do the same thing to those uh, demonstrators, and and they just and I I really believe that they're just waiting for opportunities to to try their equipment. You know, it's like okay, I got a new toy. Let's when when do we get to try it? This is the way the the the, the, the that's why it's it's a dangerous thing for to allow the police department to militarize themselves. They're not supposed to be military. They're supposed to be protecting the people. And here they are, you know, trying to militarize themselves so that so that they can, you know, try their their new toys on the on the on the public, you know. Well, that's the thing too, Mr. Bautista. You know, you're right. You know, we have a. I've been part of protests many of times, and yet, you know, that's our right. But yet, when you have the police, and you're right, Mr. Montes, because I remember now that you you showed a video when you were there at the at the Memorial Park, and it was quiet. And all of a sudden, you, you know, you hear all these the, the, the tear gas, and then later on, I saw other videos of uh, one kid was on the on the floor crying. He got hit. And he's like, "We didn't do nothing. Why? Why, why are they shooting? We, we didn't do nothing." He's yelling at a cop, and the cop is yelling yeah. back at him, "Shut up! Shut up! Get out of here!" And I'm like, "You escalated the issue. The cops did." Yeah. 
Yeah, and, and then the response by the, the, the protesters is like, what, what do we do? But to me, defunding is, is being used as a term. To take matter, away. Yeah, as a matter of fact, like yesterday, they were saying that defunding does not mean dismantling the police department. Right. It means you know, allocating money for the police or department. Taking, you know. But for me, here in El Paso, we need to put more into the, into the police department because right now, uh, you probably know uh, this more than me, Mr. Montes, the recruitment for the El Paso police is not very good. Plus, the ratio to cops per, per capita is not where it's supposed to be. But yet, we don't invest into our police department. And I think that a lot of problems come from that because sometimes the candidates, just like city council, we don't get the best candidate for the police department. And, and, and George, if, if I may intervene for just a second... Part of the problem is that, you know, our academy trains people and they go and go to other cities. They go to Dallas, they go to Houston. Why? Because they pay them more. Oh, yeah. you know, that's the, but we train them and then we and we we bear the expense and then we send them to Houston, Austin, because they're looking for bilingual uh, officers. Oh, yeah. You know, and, and we're paying for that because of that. And so maybe we shouldn't have an academy. Maybe we should have Houston have it or Austin have it or you know Dallas have it. <laughs> you know, back you over know. here. But I mean, what that, you know, yeah. what can city council do, uh, Mr. to really address the, the funding situation when it comes to here? Just here, I'm not talking about nationally or statewide. Here, I'll pass about funding or defunding the police. What, what's what's your take on that regarding yay or nay regarding defunding the police? Sure. So when you look at the the amount of money that um, our police department gets and compare it in terms of ratio to what we make uh, in the general fund in, um, in total, it's a much smaller percentage compared to other cities like Austin, San Antonio, Dallas, Seattle, and these bigger cities that you know, are voting to actually take away money from those police departments and put them into other departments. Our, our uh, reality is a lot different. We don't have uh, the kind of um, surplus spending, I guess, at least on a ratio aspect compared to those cities. What uh, our police department, what they're funding, a, a lot of it comes from grants mm-hmm. from yeah. the state and yeah. the feds and the federal government. So we have quite a bit of control over what kind of equipment or what kind of things they're, they're getting money for and spending on. My thought is, is that if we really want to be serious about this issue, we need to invest in, de- in de-escalation training and sensitivity training for, for the police department. Yeah. We, need yeah. to make, we need to ensure that the um, application process and applying is, is tough. You know, because being a police officer is, is a tough profession. You have to be able to interpret. Out of power. Yeah, you have to interpret the, the law like this. And you also, you know, are responsible for protecting people. You have uh, all kinds of tools available to you that, that you know, including deadly force. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we need to make sure that the training itself is top notch. And I hear you. I hear your concern, Mr. Bautista, but. You know, I think it's I think it's important that you know we have our academies because the training is part of it. And if we implement organizations that are trying to impact and have a good impact 
in terms of change, we, in, we should incorporate that into their training. We should say, you know what? Our police officers need better training in terms of sensitivity when it comes to these kind of mental health challenges. For example, like yeah. uh, if they're responding to autism or, or bipolar disorder calls, if they're uh, suicidal calls, then we should have organizations that are able to talk to them or teach them about here are the telltale signs of, a, you know, of a syndrome or of a, mm -hmm. something that they might be experiencing. This is how you deescalate and incorporate that into their training. I, I think, uh, uh, Mr. Moten, let me tell you this. Let me interrupt you this. Sure. Uh, a few weeks ago, I want to say maybe a month ago, <clears throat> here in Laurel Valley, actually, there, it, was, it was in the news, the, a gentleman barricade, barricaded himself. <clears throat> and then, of course, he ends up uh, arrested. Anywho, the aunt, his aunt, reached out to me via messenger, mm -hmm. and she well, she was very upset because the gentleman was uh, experiencing a mental um, episode. Oh. His mom had called the police, and she had told yeah. him. She told him, "My son, he he has XXX, and he's having he hasn't taken any medications." The cops, the police officers get there. They call the SWAT. They ended up shooting him twice. Okay, twice. He ended up in, in, in Vista del Sol. And it, it wasn't that the, the injuries weren't life-threatening. But once he was going to be released, she was saying, can you please send him into a, put him into a mental health facility? No. They got him. They arrested him. And after he was released, uh, district <laughs> hospital, and they put him in, you know, they, they, they processed him. And, and then they put him in, in jail. And she was jumping up and down like, he needs help, mental health. All you're doing, you're contributing to yeah, it because yeah. you're putting him back into society where we, the family, are telling you we need to have him in the mental health facility. But the police ignore, ignored that. George, I, uh, George, I think, you know, we need to kind of uh, 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 shade away from what you're saying a little bit now. I think we've taken Mr. Montes' uh, time and he's done a great job helping us you know uh with a great interview and, and yeah yeah uh, i was know, just about to close up i was about to say um yeah i'm glad you said mr Bolte. Yeah. So i was about to say that uh mr Bolte's in closing uh i like to ask all the candidates what makes you the best candidate for district seven sure i'm the best candidate for district seven because i'm willing to put in the research and have an independent mind in approaching these issues See, uh, I, the only people I answer to is this community. And they're the ones that I am concerned about. I love this, this place. This is my home. I was born and raised here. And I want to make sure <clears throat> that we have the infrastructure and all the right tools available so that future generations will be able to benefit off of this promise, <clears throat> off of this inheritance that we are building for them today. And so thank you all so much for having me uh, to, to finish our conversation about the police. <clears throat> I apologize. <laughs> it's okay. Um, You're like me. I have allergies. I'm always drinking my coffee. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's really bad. And there's, there's all this fauna below or, or near, my, uh, near my apartment. And <laughs> it comes up. <clears throat> but um, when it comes to police and, and policing transformation and reform, my, I, my thought is there is no single magic bullet. We need to do this in a comprehensive way.
so that there can be a good uh, build of faith between the police department, the city, and the people of this city. Because it's not lost on me <clears throat> that police officers want to go home safe and sound to their families. Nice. But on the flip side of that coin, so does the public. Mm-hmm. We all want to go home safe and sound to our families. Right. And so we need to adopt what's called the eight can't wait policies because this will help us build good faith. We need to ensure that we have a independent oversight committee with subpoena power that can keep an eye on issues like this, because if there's a complaint, families and people of this community will feel safe and will feel assured that an independent review of these kinds of things will be conducted. So that way we can ensure that we are active in, in changing and ensuring that policy benefits this community because we need to ensure that people are protected and safe, but we also need to ensure that their rights are protected mm-hmm. because we have aced away millions of dollars trying to defend civil rights problems with the police department. We have seen a judgment from a you know, from a very credible judge on the problems that our police department is suffering from. And if we ignore it, we are adding to the problem. We are not part of it. We're not part of the solution. So that is my sentiment. I want to work with people. Yes. And then I want to work with people because we need a comprehensive approach. And the thing about body cameras is it is a bandage on a huge, on a bigger wound. Okay, because I've dealt with the transparency of this city. And I'll tell you right now, it's, <laughs> it's not very transparent because it's not there. Yes, because people advocate for body cam uh, footage because they'll be able to request it later. I can tell you right now, the city will turn around and say, well, there are there are exemptions and we don't have to. Nope, you know? So nope. we need to ensure that we have the right kind of legislation that says, no, 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 no. Our policy is, yes, you do do it now. And so we need the right people that are going to do that. And I am going to advocate for those things. You know, it's funny you. you say that about transition that. being transparent. Here, here we have two blind guys telling you, you know, <laughs> the city needs to be more transparent, which is true. Even when it comes to uh, uh, dealing with the, the management, like the city manager and the city, the city attorney. And I think uh, hopefully Mr. Montes, will you come on board you know, you, you'll be a voice, which I know you will be. But like I said, and I'll say this over and over, <clears throat> Mr. Montes cannot do it by himself. He needs other individuals uh, to help him. But at the same time, we need to go out there and vote. You know, it didn't take, if you could wait, if you could wait an hour, I mean, hours and hours, <clears throat> sometimes overnight to watch a movie or to buy a phone, you could take a few minutes to go vote. Come on, you, you can't tell me you can't. And the thing is that we need to get off our butt, go in there and vote. If it's a curbside or if it's a mail-in ballot or whatever it is, go out there and vote to put people in city council that know that we know that would do a difference. And what happens is we say, uh, what's that you were saying, Mr. Bautista, last week? But uh, who cares? It is what happens to happen. How were you saying it? Yeah. You had a uh, it is what it is. mentality of voting. It is what it is. But uh, the, the thing is that... um. 
we end up like you said, we end up what we pay for. We don't we don't go out there and yeah. vote. Hey, we get people that don't care about the city, they don't care about themselves. And you know, we have an opportunity like Mr. Montes to put him in. Like we had a, a, a I say this real fast. The last uh, election cycle, we had a, a chance to put in Veronica Frescas. We had her on our show when I was with was Abel Rodriguez, and and she almost won. She went into a runoff, but she lost. And the thing is, if she wouldn't have been on city council, you would have had two, well, actually three, Aleno, uh, Frescas, and Hernandez goes back and forth. You really can't really depend on her, to be honest with you. But that's just my opinion. But anyways, going back to going to vote, I uh, hope you all go on there and vote. Mr. Mr. Uh, Monster, before we leave, how can someone uh, approach you or contact you to vote? Either I'm sorry, to, to, to donate or to volunteer for your campaign? Thank you so much, Mr. Savala. Um, <clears throat> they can visit our Facebook page at Aaron Montes for El Paso, um, or they can visit our website at Aaron Montes for El Paso dot com. Uh, and you can call me directly. My number is 915-777-4154. That's my personal cell phone number. And uh, you can call me anytime. Okay. And uh, his website, by the, by the way, folks, is, is, is uh, accessible. So that's a good thing. And uh, he gave you his number to reach out to him. And, you know, if you have concerns, don't just call me at one o'clock in the morning. But uh, Mr. Bautista, before we leave, do you have anything to say before we go, sir? I would just like to, pl to place a challenge to those uh, classified employees that are in his district, District 7, to not forget, go out and vote. Yeah, vote for Mr. That. And uh, talking about uh, voting for Mr. Montes next week. Well, it's not a good transition, but next week we're going to have uh, you know, I'm still thinking about that question I asked you, Mr. Montes, that if you live in District 7. I don't know why I asked you. I'm still thinking about that. But anyways, um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> man. anyways so next week uh, we're going to have for District 4, we're going to have candidate uh, Ceci, Su Susie uh, Bird. Uh, yeah, is that how you pronounce it? Yes. <laughs> uh, we're going to have her um, next week, hopefully, and uh, to talk about her view on District 4. So as we leave uh, this great uh, um, show, I want to say thank you to everyone. We'll see everyone next week. You're listening to the No Vision Internet Radio Show. Mr. Bautista, take it away, sir. Do you want to say bye? Uh, all right. We'll see all you right. later. See everyone next week. Thank you. Later.